0: There's something about people being noticed and this is especially true with smokers that one it's highly stigmatized or it's been stigmatized because people don't understand why people still smoke knowing all of the health health risks of smoking. But as well it is when when you do something small on the road to changing your behavior It actually matters a ton to an individual. If you have cut back a cigarette, that's huge. If you didn't smoke when you woke up that morning, that is massive. And every time you do something like that, if it's noticed, you're not gonna go out and you're not gonna tell people about it because you don't wanna disappoint people, because you don't wanna set yourself up for failure. But if there is a supportive community around you acknowledging all of these changes, even the small changes that you're making, in a really supportive, fun, interactive way that keeps people coming back and that keeps people progressing, there's no better formula for for behavior change.
1: Grace Wang leads Design a Carrot, a technology company that helps people quit smoking. For 12 years, she led healthcare-focused projects around the world in her role at IDEO, a global innovation consultancy. IDEO was most famous for popularizing the term design thinking. Design thinking recognizes that design school teaches how to put people at the center of what you do. Design-led companies are the ones that put people first with the understanding that what's good for people is good for business. With Carrot, Grace is working to understand how better designed experiences can help change hard-to-break bad habits and behaviors. In this episode... Grace talks about need finding, touch points, and Dairy Queen.
0: So I was born in the States, raised in the States, and then when I was 10, my father got a job uh, with Samsung. And that was just the the beginning of the rise of the economic boom. And so a lot of Asian countries were asking expats to come back and um, and be part of the, the growing economy. And so I think that really shaped my experience as a kid. You know, I went to international school. I wanted to be a diplomat. And then I went to Stanford. And when I got there, I realized that this is actually not what I wanted to do. I happened to be living in the dorm with a bunch of product design majors. And they were like, Taking out their skill saws in the hallway and working on their projects late at night, and I thought that's so cool. Like that is, it's hands on. You're making stuff, you're solving problems, and it was also the very beginning of another boom, which is the dot com boom. And I was living in the Bay Area, and at the time, there was nothing called an interaction designer or a UX designer or a digital designer or anything of that sort. And I thought, I know how to do design. I know what design is. And so I just fell into interaction design, I think, just like everybody else did at the time. I think the ironic thing about my journey is that at Stanford, product design is actually part of the School of Engineering. And my dad was an engineer, and I told my parents, you know, I'm really going to be open to studying anything except for engineering.
1: And so how did did you go then from... Being around these product designers, being interested in what they're doing in the hallways with skill saws, and then uh, deciding that within that world there were still options, like engineering was an option, but it wasn't for you. You know, saying going down the path of being a physician, for example, wasn't really for you, but you're at Stanford. What, what were the steps between that kind of all that questioning and finally saying, okay, I'm going to do this?
0: At one point, I actually took a class called Need Finding. And Need Finding is very much about going out into the world, observing picking apart what really those latent needs are. And I think that's what really hooked me on design. Oh, wow. You know, you can go out into the world, you can see what people are having challenges with, and then you can actually do something about
1: that. What's an example of one of the things you may have saw early that, well, that hooked you?
0: So one of the first assignments that we had was write your bug list. Literally, write down a hundred things that just bug the crap out of you. And I wrote down everything from uh, having to wind, you know, the floss around your fingers and actually help people become compliant with flossing, to a project that I eventually ended up working on, which was at the time meters, parking meters, were all coin based, and so with how, you, how do you help people actually make sure that they've got what they need when they're parking, that they're not going to continue to forget to feed the meter, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point, it was also more of a systems-based problem. It wasn't just a problem, a design problem for an individual. It was something that was part of the the city's problem and the infrastructure, and it was just much broader than one object uh, and an an individual interacting with that object. It was how does the system then function, um, you know, within all of those different touch points.
1: And so that phrase touch points is one you hear a lot in design. And so what could you just describe that a little bit?
0: I think touch points are anything across the continuum of an experience that an individual encounters. So it could be a service touchpoint. It could be you walking up to the teller in a bank, or it could be the flyer that you get that informs you of some sort of community event. But I think as designers, we have to remember that each one of those things are strung together and that people interact with them in different ways. You might Encounter touch point A and you might encounter touch point F. All of those quote unquote touch points have to be strung together because you never know when someone's gonna be encountering one and then another. It's not a linear experience.
1: How does this way of thinking about design apply to our everyday lives?
0: I think at its core behavior change is a design problem. It has to do with with people and the way and the decisions that people make and how people navigate the world. And in fact, there are so many cues that we as designers create that impact the choices that we make in our behavior. I mean, if you think about the problem of obesity, it is so hard, I think, to to be in the world today, to walk down the street and not be enticed by the choices that are out there that are not the best choices, and, and to not be able to actually avoid that, right? Just to be kind of pummeled with it all the time. Um, and so there are these cues and th- and then these reminders and then it's multiplied times, you know, times 10. And so that's sort of the first I think opportunity for designers around creating changes in our behavior that, you know, we're responsible sort of for the environment and the cues in the environment.
1: So if you're if you're a designer working for Dairy Queen, you know, and you've got this mandate that you have to help, you know, market and brand Dairy Queen and it's, you know, the choices aren't the best, they're more of something you do maybe as a treat, but they're it's always in your face. Like where do you start? Or do you say, well, maybe you have to work somewhere that's going to be on the other side trying to promote the right kind of behavior. Like what's your
0: It's tricky because as designers we're not necessarily here to judge either we're just here to help people make the right decisions. And people have to come to those decisions on their own. Again, you know, control may lead to compliance, but not necessarily to engagement. I spent a lot of time designing for Big Food. And there were actually designers at Idea who refused to work on some of these projects because of an ethical, you know, sort of moral set of values around the impact that big food um, was having on, on health, on people's decisions. At the same time, I sort of felt like, well, they're going to do it anyway. And they're going to do it in the way that is the least expensive, that scales the best um, and that sells the most product. And we can work with these companies to, to try and steer these big ships in the right direction so, working for a Dairy Queen is there's nothing wrong with that, and and a Dairy Queen every once in a while is is also not a bad choice. Um, but I think if you think about how we can get, for example, kids to make better choices uh, at school around their food, you know, what are the experiences that we can design? There have been a lot of uh, experiments around putting salad bars in front of everything else. to to help kids make better decisions. IDEO actually worked with the San Francisco Unified School District to redesign the cafeteria experience for elementary and high school kids. And it turned out that they didn't actually have to change the food at all, but they changed the experience of actually serving and getting together and, and eating the food and consuming that food. And so they assigned kids kind of, Roles around passing this food out. They actually had kids eat at circular tables together, very much more communal style. And the kids were blown away. They thought that that the food had actually changed, when in fact, none of the food had. It was just the experience that had evoked something different. And as a result, better and healthy choices for kids. So these are the types of touch points. This is the type of delivery that designers can continue to craft in order to help people make those better choices.
1: This episode of First Things First is brought to you by Copywell. Copywell is Canada's fastest growing book printer, producing short and long run orders using the latest technology in digital inkjet as well as conventional offset printing. Their online ordering system makes it easy to stay up to date with production processes. Learn more at copywell.com and get a quote for your next print job. So now you're working with a company called Pivot that's focused very much on the idea of design as potentially even saving lives. And so the question is, can design save lives? Can it? Can it?
0: Design saves lives actually every day. So I joined IDEO's healthcare practice four years ago. And before that, I I spent a lot of time designing food and working with our food studio. And that was also about helping to save lives because as I mentioned, it was about getting people to make better choices in their day-to-day. I joined the healthcare practice because... I was asked to bring the consumer centric view of all that work I had done in food and beverage to healthcare. And it was right about the time when Obamacare had passed, policy was put in place to drive value based healthcare as opposed to fee for service in, in the US. And so it was really clear that healthcare was actually coming into people's homes healthcare was was going to be on people's phones. Healthcare was going to be what you encountered on the streets, just like you would your Dairy Queen, just like you would any other store. And so to me, that was incredibly appealing. How could we actually impact somebody's health in their day-to-day? And so this included projects like working with Planned Parenthood to Improve both the patient experience as well, well as the employee experience. So, how do we get patients to feel like they're best informed about some of the decisions that they're making, without any stigma, with the knowledge that they with that they need to feel confident um, and and have that last for a lifetime. But as well, how do we empower the employees of Planned Parenthood, to actually deliver on that. They were really astute in recognizing that you can't change the patient experience without changing the provider experience.
1: And so you've parlayed a lot of this now into your current work with Pivot. And so could you talk a bit about Pivot, just explain what it is, and then we'll sort of move into the design side of it from there?
0: Absolutely. So so Carrot is a digital health company that leverages hardware and software and one-on-one coaching to help people quit smoking. We developed a product called Pivot that are all of those things in one. And our hardware is actually a carbon monoxide breath sensor. So it measures the carbon monoxide expelled as a result of smoking. Our coaching, which is the largest part of our our organization, is actually dedicated one-on-one coaching. So it's not that you call somebody up and you get a stranger at the end of the the line – but you are paired from day one with a coach who helps support you, who helps answer your questions, who guides you along this really difficult path to quitting smoking. And then all of the evidence-based content is delivered through an, an app on your phone. So it's easily accessible on your time.
1: And what, so how does design play mm. a role in that experience and how does it, you know, what would you be losing if you didn't have design as part of that? Equation.
0: So I think it was, it's funny, when I met with one of the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley when I was at IDEO, she said, if you can figure out engagement, that's delivering gold. If you can figure out how people continue to engage with your product, how it helps them see progress and helps them come back, which is what actually leads to behavior change, then you've got something. And there are a lot of examples of clinical solutions for this that are in person. You know, you walk into a smoking cessation program or a clinic, it's inconvenient, it is not engaging, you probably don't retain a whole lot, but on the flip side, it is one on one. You have actually made the effort to go, so you're somewhat invested. So you're winning already, you're a step ahead already. With the way Pivot is delivered, it's engaging. So we have some games, we have some more interactive and rich content that people can interact with. We've got ways that people are enticed to come back because they are seeing progress. We're actually working on a community right now and we have to make sure that that community is considered. This is all design. We have to make sure it's private, that it's supportive, that it's delivering the right content at the right time. So this is where design and technology have an opportunity to be linked here together and working together.
1: Where does design start and stop? Because a lot of the way that you and your career have thought about design, and in many ways this takes the visual out of the equation, I mean, it's obviously a part of the mix, but uh, it's very much more about understanding how people behave in a certain context and how they. we can encourage them to make different choices, for example. Where does design start and stop for you?
0: Design is simply a means of problem-solving. And there are tools at our disposal to really craft the experiences that we're building to make them more engaging, to make them more aesthetic, to make them more visual, to make them more sticky. And that's also where design has a role. And so I I don't actually see design starting and stopping anywhere. I think that design has a role in bringing clinical best practices to life, And we can do that poorly or we can do that well, depending on how well-crafted that experience is. I also think that there's a role for designers to help experts see differently, that it's not about just delivering a bunch of dry content, um, but it's about figuring out how to keep people engaged over the long term. There's this virtuous cycle of investing and feedback and reward. And as a result of that, you're investing again. And all of those things are designed, all of that structure and those patterns have to be designed. The efficacy of it and the effectiveness might be based on something more scientific, but it's really up to designers to bring that to life in a way that's going to be meaningful and fit into people's day to day.
1: Being in the sort of hotbed of this conversation right now around hooked behavior, which, uh, you know, some people are starting to fight back against that and say it's an issue. And do you anticipate that that's the next big frontier for designers is understanding how to put that kind of behavior into a context where it's seen as less healthy? Like, do you think that designers have a responsibility now to find ways to modify or modulate or, um, Put that into the right kind of framework, bigger framework?
0: Absolutely. I think prior, I had not necessarily thought about the ethics of design. I think that any emerging designer now should be studying ethics. And I think this is going to become even more pertinent with machine learning and AI. There will be issues... um, You know, we can't turn a blind eye to. You know, and technology is always, there's always going to be a good side to technology and a bad side to technology. People are going to use technology for ill will regardless. I think we as designers should be actually be considering that though in in creating whatever it is we create, knowing that there is a possibility of that.
1: That said, what's next for you?
0: Something that I've been thinking about a lot and why I even joined Carrot was building a culture of design and really thinking about what does that mean just in terms of design craft as well as team what kind of team do I want as well as what some business leaders have been talking about today which is what is the third generation of design in a organization so it used to be design little d had a department and now it's design big d at the table So a seat at the executive table, but this third generation of design where everything in the organization should be designed, everything from accounting to HR to your actual product. And so when I joined Carrot, actually, that's something that I said to my CEO, I want to build this culture of design, not just within the design team, but I want it to be something that infuses the entire organization so that we behave all like designers. And thankfully, my CEO brought me in to help articulate some of those values. And it was really based on how people were already behaving, not sort of these lofty goals. And so I think that at the end of the day, it is all about human interaction. So how do we get teams to collaborate differently? How do we get people within an organization to communicate differently as well in a way that's been intentionally designed and that starts with with humans
1: to learn more about grace visit carrot.co first things first is produced by max cotter frontier media is a part of frontier a design office based in toronto canada We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. To do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile. And we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD, the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate, and inspire. Set professional standards and build a strong, supportive community dedicated to advocating for the value of design.